This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 today. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16. Solomon says, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. So Solomon will continue in the latter part of this chapter with one of his three major themes. And what he continues to come back to over and over again, besides talking about death, is the march of time and also the randomness or unfairness of life. And he just keeps circling back around with each of these points that here in this case, men will be unfair to one another. There's no getting around it. And in each case, his counsel is essentially the same, that life isn't fair. It's random. You can't do anything to stop time. You can't do anything to stop death. And so what you should do in light of that is get busy doing what matters most because you're only here for a little while and enjoy what is enjoyable as it comes, whether it be a good meal, you know, or time with your family, uh, with your wife specifically, he'll talk about in later chapters and doing as, as far as spiritual things go that those things are material that I just mentioned, but ultimately what matters most, we know in the conclusion is fear God and keep his commandments, chapter 12 and verse 13. And so if you pay attention to each chapter, you know, that uh, final point really begins to emerge over and over again. All right. He, he spends most of the time talking about, um, you know, the randomness of life and march of time and, and the certainty of death. Uh, but w- within each of these discussions, there is the the point that God is God and you need to make sure that you're serving him. Right, that's the way to make the the most of whatever time you have here is ultimately to submit to him, to live your life in wisdom, which means following God. So at some point, Solomon here, he's focusing on the end of chapter three. That he's, he's saying that at some point you're going to find yourself the victim and that wickedness, as we see in verse 16, is going to be found where there should be justice. And that's going to yield disappointment. And he notes a few other troubling trends that he observes in the world. And really, you know, as I've said previously in this study, he's repackaging the same point over and over again, or these three major points or themes over and over again. And here in this case, you know, each time he repackages it, you know, it's 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 a slightly different variation on the theme, but some different observation that he has. But ultimately it speaks to either the randomness of life or the certainty of death or... Uh, you know, the, the unstoppable march of time, right? The world goes on. So the, the things that he names here are specifically how man and animals share the same fate physically and that oppressors will always oppress and that work in this life will bring you into competition with others. And that will mean very little, by the way, unless you have someone to share it with and are doing it in light of eternity. And no matter how high or low your station may be in life, uh, eventually you're you're forgotten. So there's more of those stark realities that Ecclesiastes is, is is known for. And you know, realities of which we're we're aware, but as Solomon observed these things, 
he's he's offering wisdom to us, like the practical implications of the things that he's observed. So uh, let's take a look. So first Solomon reminds us judgment is coming. You keep reading in chapter 3, verse 17 now. It says, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. Right? So, you know, the reason life persists in all its unfairness is that God is testing man. Verse 18 now, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, uh, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Now, Peter will say something similar later in the New Testament um, when he is talking about the words of mockers who come in, in, in the last days in which you and I are living. He, they will say, Peter says, the mockers are going to say, where is, where is the promise of Jesus' coming? Why is, why is he so slow about his, his coming back if indeed he is returning? And Peter says, remember in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not slow as some count slowness, but is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so I see this in Solomon's words, right? He says in verse 16, life is unfair. There's wickedness in the place of righteousness. But remember, God is going to ultimately judge both the righteous man and the wicked man. So there's that overall theme emerging again, right? The, the not, not the overall theme, but really the final point, and main point of the whole book, right, of Ecclesiastes, fear God and keep his commandments. So while people remain, each of us has the opportunity to do that very thing, that in spite of the unfairness and the corruption of justice, there is still an opportunity while you and I remain here to choose good, to to, to know that the Lord will bring every deed into judgment. And as part of this testing, God desires that people see themselves as they are from a physical perspective, right? He says that God's testing men so that they will see their butt beast, right? We're not in the sense that we're, uh, you know, unreasoning or that we're not valuable uh, to him, but in the sense that we're like, just like animals, we're transient, we're fragile, we're subject to death really is is, is the point. And we're, we can be victims even though we're made in God's image, we you know we have and, and have rational thought and we can reason. Unlike animals, we nevertheless can be victims of our own irrationality and foolishness that we stubbornly choose. And again, Peter will say something similar in Second Peter two and verse twelve. He'll say of men who choose that course of rejecting Christ and living, trying to live a life apart from God, that these men, he says, they're like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be captured and destroyed. They blaspheme in matters they do not understand, and like such creatures, they too will be destroyed. And so that's Solomon's real emphasis. This is what he means, I think, when he says God is testing man, so that man will see he is like a beast that will ultimately be destroyed. Um, this is Solomon's real emphasis, right? Who he says, if you continue reading in verse twenty-one, who knows that the breath of man ascends upward, or the breath of the beast ascends downward to the earth? And so the Bible uses phrases like this to declare um, partial ignorance on a on on a, on a subject. But Solomon is not denying, 
Right. At, at this point, you have to remember when Solomon's writing, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. God had not completely revealed all of his plan. And, and of course, Christ didn't come until many, many years later and, and revealed to us, you know, uh, teachings about uh, hell and the judgment, the resurrection and so on and so forth. So Solomon is not denying <clears throat> that there's a future destination when he's talking in this way is, is, is the point. But he's saying that there's a, he, he is inspired to say what there is this much that we can be certain of is that there is a judgment coming and uh, God is going to be the one who holds us accountable, right? And in, in Ecclesiastes gets us that far. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7, he says, the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it, right? And Solomon has already mentioned there in verses 17 through through 18, the, the judgment that is to come, right? So again, he's he's calling us to think about our place and God's great scheme, right? And, and this creation and what ultimately matters in this life uh, and what will give it meaning. So he, he concludes by saying, verse 22, I have seen that nothing is better than a man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot, for who will bring him to see what will occur after him? So it might seem like Solomon is is saying, uh, you know, you're no better than an animal. Just be materialistic. Just live for the moment. And it might seem like, you know, these things are trending towards that kind of mindset. But this, this is not, that's misconstruing his conclusion. He's actually said this earlier uh, even in the last chapter, and he's going to say it again as we move forward. But what he what he means is, is that, Labor is its is its own reward from God. So when He's saying, you know, I don't see anything better to do than just be happy with with what you're doing in your work and your activities. This is this is your lot. Um, he, what He means by that is it, that there is nothing better for a man than to um, do work work with all his might, whatever he finds to do, you know, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, as He'll say in chapter nine. Because your deeds are approved by God, um, it is from the hand of God. You know who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him is the way that He put it in chapter two. And so when He uses this phrasing, you know He's not saying, "Yeah, just you know live for the moment and be materialistic." No, He's saying, as I mentioned in, in the intro, that just enjoy what's enjoyable, right? Because again, in the grand scheme of things, there's so much that's beyond your control. Again, namely death, the march of time, the unfairness of, of life. And so what good things do come to you, recognize that they're a gift from God uh, and, and just enjoy them. Make the most of them because you don't, you, again, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow's not a guarantee, uh, but work while you can and do that uh, with with the knowledge that God is going to hold you accountable. So he wants us to realize, again, it's it's better to be content. It's better to to, to enjoy God's blessings and find joy in serving God and, and, and working for Him. Uh, because this is what gives life meaning. Apart from that, it is, you know, you're, you really are just spending, you are just living for the moment. You know, there is no higher purpose that you're working toward. Uh, you know, it, you're just, you, you are just doing nothing more than trying to put food on the table, right? And, and support your family, which aren't bad things in and of themselves. We're, we're to do that. Um, but we should have a higher purpose, as, as God's people, because no matter how much you accrue or, you know, where you live or how much wealth you, you have, you're going to die like everybody else and be forgotten by the world. 
But God, he's not going to forget, right? You, you still have to answer to him. Um, and so this is where Solomon is, is taking us. And so he begins to lament as we move into uh, chapter 4. He, he begins to lament the state of others who live helplessly under oppression uh, of wickedness or who win you know, are in, in, in dire circumstances. Um, and so he goes on to say that it would be better to die or to have never been born than to live under such conditions. As we move into chapter four, verses two and three, he says, and I thought that the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So this is one of those really, uh, dark sayings and dark, dark places that we see here, and I believe he's speaking purely from a human perspective to magnify how miserable life would be and is without God. You know, Paul will do the same thing in First Corinthians fifteen, right? He gives as there in that context, he's talking about the resurrection of, of Christ, and he in that discussion um, to prove as he's proving the resurrection that it is that it does happen and that it's critical to the faith. He goes off into this hypothetical and he says, you know, if it's, if it's not true, if Jesus was never raised from the dead, then we are of all people to be most pity. Like if we, he says in verse 19, if we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. So Paul does the same thing as Solomon. If you just look through a purely human perspective, earthly perspective, what Paul is doing is magnifying just how terrible and ludicrous it would be for him to live the life that he was living, right? He says, if it was, if I wrestled with beasts in Ephesus um, and, and Christ has not been raised from the dead, I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, he says that would, that would be foolishness. Um, but I encourage you to go back and read first Corinthians 15 because I probably butchered that. But the, his point, his point is the same that even if you're living a moral life, even if you're trying to live a life based on the teaching of Jesus, it means nothing if there's no resurrection. In other words, if there's no, if there's no eternity, if there's no reward, if there is no accountability on your side, then you know the the then human worldly things. That's it. They are your greatest good. They are your greatest pursuit. And then and then as Solomon is saying, non-existence is preferable to life because. Even in the greatest of times, this life is tainted with sin and it's tainted with death and it's tainted with suffering and tragedy and unfairness and all the things that he's, that he's talked about. And so that's what Solomon is driving at here. Again, he's, he's, it's not just a, you know, woe is me, this life is terrible, you know, just because he is getting a kick out of talking about the most terrible things in life. No, his, his again, remember, you have to, his ultimate point here is to show the futility of life apart from God, right? And many Bible writers were inspired to write similar points as they considered the state of life without taking God in, into account. You know, to, to die as soon as possible would be desirable, not so as to not endure or witness oppressions. You know, it was something that Job said in Job chapter 3 and verse 12, as, he's, as in that case, he's lamenting his own uh, his 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 own birth, yeah, and he will do it later in chapter twenty one. Why did the wicked live and reach old age and grow mighty in power, 
Asaph will do the same thing. He says, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked in Psalm 73. You know, and and that and in Psalm 73 is a great example of um within a very short chapter of the really the main theme of Ecclesiastes being expressed within that that one passage of scripture, right? Because Asaph for half of the psalm is speaking from a a, a carnal, worldly perspective, and he's talking about his discouragement and how he sees the wicked prosper, and this is unfair. And then halfway through the psalm, or a little more, he says, "When I try to understand this, I went to the sanctuary, and I perceived their end." Right, and and then the psalm completely changes, right, because he he remembers there is more to uh, this life than there is more to our existence than than just this this life that ultimately God's going to hold no account. So he reaches the same, same conclusion. Jeremiah does the same thing. Jeremiah chapter 12, right? Righteous. So you, O Lord, when I complained to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are all the treacherous? Why do all the treacherous thrive? Right. And so they, you know, all of these godly people kind of wander off into and consider hypothetically, you know, how terrible it would be, how miserable it would be if this, if this life was all there is. Um, but what these men ultimately see, Job and Asaph and Jeremiah, Habakkuk, you know, tons of examples, right, if we were to get into it, and Solomon included, right, even in our own study in Ecclesiastes, what they find is, is they, you look beyond the present, right? The, the, the reality is, is that there's something beyond this time and this, and this place, and that is God. And just as Asaph looked beyond the present to the judgment and perceived the end of of wickedness and the end of oppressors and God's righteous judgment against those who would not submit to him and follow his, his wisdom, his sovereignty, God's sovereignty is vindicated in, in, in all of that in final judgment. And so you go and you look at each of those examples, you'll find the, the very same thing, the very same conclusion that Solomon comes to. Um, Habakkuk is another uh, another uh, instance in where he, what he was tormented about was the punishment of God's people at the hands of, of Babylon. And he, he saw the suffering that was to, to come and it was going to be terrible. But yet he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation because ultimately on the other side of that suffering, even if it were to last the rest of his life on, on earth, he would find deliverance in God. So these men saw the need for delay before God's final judgment of the wicked to give time for repentance or the accumulation of, of wrath. And Solomon is, is no different. Um, they, they see God's purpose to refine the faithful in his wisdom to um, teach them perseverance through tribulation and then finally, finally rewarding them. But if we can't have that, if we don't have that perspective, if we don't remember that God has that ultimate purpose for his people, then yeah, life is, life has no meaning. And, and not only does it not have any meaning, but it is terribly unfair and difficult and full of tragedy. But God gives meaning to even those things in our lives. 
Uh, and Solomon goes on to teach us, I think, to remind us that God's people have one another to lean on and find encouragement. And, you know, this is what he goes on to say as you continue in chapter 4. A little bit further in verses 9 and 10, you'll recognize this verse. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. And so this is um, part of his counsel. Yeah, that As he says, life may not be fair. It, 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 uh, it's meaningless apart from God, but we can find meaning and service to the Lord, and we can endure together. Right? As Peter describes later, the people who have like precious faith. And so the, the Lord would have us be united in, in our work. Verse 12, you can reading, uh, continue reading in ver, uh, excuse me, chapter 4. If one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him, and a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. I think sometimes that passage is taken to mean, well, well, we do have one another, but we can only have, that can only be beneficial if, you know, we have the numbers too, because, you know, Solomon says, you know, two can overpower, um, two can resist one who's trying to overpower him. And then three strands is not quickly torn apart. And uh, I, I don't think that the point is, I don't think Solomon is saying that there's strength in numbers as much as he is saying that there's strength in unity, right? Because I, the emphasis on those passages is the two together resist them, right? And the cord of three strands, right? The picture of a, a rope, you know, that's made up these strands are wrapped together. You know, they're, they're united. They're serving a common purpose. Uh, that's, that's where strength is. And this is an idea that carries forward into the New Testament, as you're probably aware that, you know, we serve, are to serve one another in love. We are to be united. Jesus prayed for the unity of his, of his people. And God knows that this is, is for our good. And he wants us to, um, uh, to to stand firmly on His truth together, shoulder to so- shoulder, and face the world together, and face uh, the difficulties of life together, the unfairness of life, the tragedies of life. Right, Romans chapter twelve, um, that we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who who weep. Right, so what we labor for, in mere physical terms, eventually goes away. It's not going to last, um, and what we need to be reoriented toward, uh, if I can put it that way, is is again the the Lord's designs for us, His His ultimate goal and purpose for us, that we be reconciled to Him, that we uh, work for spiritual food that endures to eternal life, that we have a heavenly mindset, that that we remember as we labor here with and among our brethren and in our and in our families and our our nine to five jobs or our day-to-day work, whatever it may be, that that ultimately whatever material prosperity comes from that, they're not ends in and of themselves. That material prosperity is not an end in and of itself, but is given for a purpose and that again it is is to serve God and others. Um and, and that's where we can find fulfillment and relevance because we are, you know, we're going, we're, you know, we're following that groove that God has, has carved out for us, that pattern that he's carved out for us in, in his word. You know, life 
isn't fair and we have no reason to expect that it should be. We live in a fallen world, but we can and must serve Christ, be united with his people. Despite the varying and sometimes brutal circumstances we can find ourselves in, we can take comfort in knowing that Jesus, in the end, just as Solomon is reminding us, God is going, God is going to call into account the oppressor and the wickedness. He's going to set, you know, there is a reckoning. Jesus, in the end, repays everyone according to their deeds. Second Corinthians five ten. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done um, in the body, whether good or evil. And so so much of what Solomon is is telling us is, again, be be ready. You can't can't control most of the things that happen in in your life. You can accept them and you can trust, trust in God and ultimately come out stronger on the other side of, of those those difficult circumstances. Judgment eventually comes. Man's transient. Man's fragile. And that's not, there's nothing we can do about it, but we can enjoy God's blessings as they come, work with our hands, knowing that ultimately we're serving a higher purpose and, and higher goals than just ourselves. And as I said earlier, just putting food on the table. Right? We're... we're striving for heaven, striving to be with the God who loved us and gave himself up for us when our bodies return to dust. We can go and be with him. I appreciate you tuning in. That's all I have for today, and we'll dive into chapter 4, and I'll have some more thoughts to share with you next time. Keep studying, and uh, I look forward to, to being with you again.